0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم أنفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We're continuing again tonight with the Fiqhul Asma'il Husna, the Fiqh of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala's most beautiful names. And the next name that Sheikh Abdul Razak, Ibn Abdul Muhsin, al abbad Al-Badr, Hafidhahum Allah Taala, the next name that the author mentions is the name Al-Ghalib and the name Al nasir The two names of Allah, Al-Ghalib and Al nasir The name Al-Ghalib we find in one place in the Quran, in Surah Yusuf, Ayah number 21, where Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, Indeed, that Allah is predominant over his affair. But most of people, they do not know. Allah is ghalibun, predominant. This is the name, Al-Ghalib. He is the predominant one. As for the name, An-Nasir, and this is found in, four places in the quran in suratul anfal verse 40 allah azza wa Jal says fa'lamu mawlakum, and know that allah is your mawla he is your protector ni'mal wa ni'ma al nasir the best of protectors and the best of nasir the best of helpers so allah's name an nasir is the helper the helper, and al-Ghalib is the predominant. In Surah Al-Nisa, verse 45, Allah Azza wa Jal says, billahi nasira." "Wa billahi nasira." And sufficient is Allah as a helper. Sufficient is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a helper. Um, those are at least two of the places in the Quran where we find the name al-Ghalib. Oh, sorry, the name al-Nasir. As for the name Al-Ghalib, what does this mean when we say the predominant? Shah Abdul Razak, he explains and he says, the meaning of Al-Ghalib is the one yash'a. Firstly, he does what whatsoever he wishes. Whatever Allah wishes, he does. La yaghlibuhu shay' and nothing can overcome him. Nothing can cause him failure. Nothing can prevent him or stop him. Nothing can overcome him. La yaghlibuhu shay'. Because he is al-Ghalib. He overcomes and he is predominant over everything else. So nothing can prevent him. Nothing can dominate him. Nor can anything change his hukum, his rule. His rule cannot be substituted or changed. And nor can anything overpower or change his decree. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided, Nothing can, can substitute his, his change, or his rule, or his decision, etc. This is the meaning of Al-Ghalib. This is the meaning of um, Al-Ghalib. Imam Al-Qurtubi, the famous Imam of Tafsir, he said that it is wajib upon every Mukallaf, every individual who is Mukallaf, that they know that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He is Al-Ghalib al itlaq. In every way, he, in an absolute sense, Allah is Al-Ghalib. So, whomsoever connects himself with Allah, he will overcome. Whomsoever connects himself with Allah and he sticks with Allah, then he will overcome. And whatever else he finds in this world will become, yani he will overcome that thing. Because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says in Surah Mujadila, verse 21: Katab Allah, Allah says that Allah wrote, Meaning, Allah has decreed already. لَا ana wa rusuli That I will surely overcome and my messengers will overcome. So Allah has decreed this already. He's written this. That whatever is with Allah, and firstly Allah will overcome. And his messengers, they will overcome. They will be victorious. And likewise, whosoever is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they too will overcome. They too will overcome. And those who are not with Allah, they will be overcome. This is how Imam al qurdubi Allah basically uses this ayah. As for an-Nasir, the meaning of an-Nasir, the helper, then he is the one who bestows his help upon his ibad, upon his slaves. And he guarantees his assistance. He's Al Kafir, we spoke about this name last week. The guarantor. Allah guarantees his assistance and his help for his awliya for those slaves of his who are close to him and that he will protect them and defend them this is a guarantee from Allah and we know that an-nasr help cannot come except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whoever so achieves the help this is achieving a bounty and a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's why the sheikh says al-mansuru man mansur the victorious one is the one who achieved the help of Allah. The one who is victorious, he is the one that he, he received the help of Allah. Because there is no nasir for the slave except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there is no Hafidh for them. No guardian, no protector except him. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in many ayat وَمَنْ نَصْرُ إِلَّا مِنْ عند اللَّهِ الْعَزِيزِ الْحَكِيمِ That there is no help or assistance except with Allah. Except with Allah al Hakim and Allah says in Surat Ali Imran إِي يَنْصُرْكُمُ who knows the ayah اللَّهِ فَلَا غَالِبَ that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps you or assists you then there is nothing that can overcome you wa but if Allah forsakes you يَنْصُرُكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ then who is going to help you after him yani the, if, if Allah forsakes you there is no helper that can benefit you. And if Allah helps you and His assistance is with you, then nothing can overcome you. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Imran, verse number 160. And we find in many places in the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions His help and how it came to you know, those who were close to Him, like His anbiya and the messengers. Many ayat we find uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and how indeed that we blessed Musa and Harun and we saved them and their people وَقَوْمَهُمَا from a great hardship and difficulty and we assisted them and therefore they overcame they were victorious and they overcame because of the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is mentioned in many ayat, many contexts, many stories etc in the Quran how Allah's help came to those who sought his help. And how Allah's help came to his awliya and to his ambiyah and so forth. This is the dua of Nuh. When he invited his people, they were arrogant and stubborn, refused to come to the message of Allah. Eventually he raised his hands and said, Qala Rab bin Surni. This is how you ask Allah in Arabic for help. Rab bin Surni. Oh, my Lord, help me. Rabbin Surni, Unsurni. Rabbin Surni, Bima Kathaboon. Over that which they are lying, over me, belying me with. And he made dua over these, against these people. The dua of Lut, alayhi salam. Qala Rabbin Surni, ala al-qawmin mufsideen. My Lord, assist me over these Mufsidin, These people who are, people who spread corruption. Corrupt people who spread corruption. And we know what the people of Lut were upon. And the dua of the Prophet Muhammad <laughs> and all of the Mu'mineen. It's a dua that we all know. The end of Surah Ali Imran. We say Anta Mawlana Fansurna Fansurna. You are our mawla You are our protector. Fansurna. So help us. Assist us al-qabil over the disbelieving people. That's at the end of Ali Imran, we all know the ayah. That's what it means. You are our maula our protector. So help us, assist us over the disbelieving people. So these types of ad'iyah, du'as are mentioned in the Quran of how the anbiya sought the help of Allah. Because they knew well and truly that the help only comes from a nasir from An-Nasir, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the helper. Indeed, Rasulullah also said in the du'a, Allahumma adudi. whenever he went to battle, and he was in jihad, he used to say, Oh Allah, you are my supporter, wa nasiri, and my helper. Allahumma anta'adudi, my supporter, wa nasiri, and you are my helper. Bika ajulu wa bika asulu wa bika uqatil. It's with you that I get my strength. And with you that I Pounce on my enemy And with you that I fight Because again Rasulullah SAW knew Without the help of Allah And he himself There is no victory for him That the help comes from Allah And this was the dua that he made Whenever he went onto the battlefield And then the Sheikh mentions another point That Allah ta'ala informs us That the kuffar have no nasir That the kuffar they have no assist, they have no helper. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا, As for those who disbelieve, فَأُعَذِّبُهُمَ عَذَابًا شَدِيدًا Then we will, I will punish them with a severe punishment. فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ In this world and in the Akhirah. And for them they have no helpers. They have no helpers. And You find this type of ayat many times in the Quran. That for you there is no helper and there is no wali, which is a protector as well. Allah mentions this throughout the Qur'an in many, many ayat. That for the disbelieving people, they have no nasir. In reality, they have no helper. That special assistance and help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not for them. This is for the believing people. This is for the Mu'mineen and this is why Sheikh Abdul Razak says that this is an address This this at this ayat is an address for the believers To give them glad tidings that they will be victorious That they will achieve victory And that they end the consequences the end result will be praiseworthy in this dunya and in the Akhirah But these are for the believers that strive they do jihad, both types of jihad, both types of jihad. What are the two types of jihad? Okay, okay. that's the one type of jihad. What's the other type of jihad? Mm-hmm. Jihadun nafs. Some ulama says jihad akbar and asghar. Minor jihad and major jihad. So if we say the minor jihad is your the jihad of your nafs, the major jihad would be where you actually on the battlefield fighting. Ready to give your life for the sake of Allah. But that jihad, the victory for the major jihad, it comes after you find victory over the minor jihad. This is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how it works. And this is why Shaykh Islam ibn rahimallah he said that when the kuffar found victory over the believers. He says, This is only due to the sins of the Muslims. أَلَّتِي Awjabat نَقْصُ إِيمَانِهِمْ Those sins led to a weakness in the iman. This is why the Kufar were given victory. And this is how they found victory over the Muslims. When says, if they were to repent and they then imani they, him, they, they strive to perfect the iman and strengthen the iman once again Nasarahumullah Allah will then help them and when we say Allah will help them it means Allah gives them victory because the help of Allah does not come except with victory except with victory Kama qala ta'ala وَلَا وَلَا تَحْزَنُوا وَأَنْتُمُ الْأَعْلَوْنَ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says, do not weaken and do not grieve. وَأَنْتُمُ الأعلون. Whilst you are superior, If you are believers. If you are believers. And if you are true believers, strong iman, you are going to be superior. This is what the Quran says. And therefore you should not grieve. And you should not become weak you should not become weak because you are going to be superior but if you are going to become weak you will lose your superiority over the kuffar and this is what has happened in the Ummah today Allah and he quotes another ayah where Allah SWT says مُصِيبَةٌ <laughs> and when they were afflicted with a musibah, calamities and they said, Anna hadha. I mean, what's the, what, what caused this? Why did these calamities come to us? Allah says to them, Say, O oh Muhammad who Huwa min 'indi indi anfusikum. It's because of what is with you. What you have done. It's because of those sins. This is why the musibah has come. This is why the calamities and the, the losses and the, the, the humiliation has come. Because of what, that, what you have with you. Of sin, of weakness. And this is the Sunnah of Allah, as we said. So the Ibadullah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what do we require for, for, for help and assistance over our apparent enemy? Our apparent enemy is the kufar, those who are killing the Muslims around the world. And this is happening in many places. Right? We know what's happening in Palestine for many many years. Look what's happening in India, look what's happening in Kashmir, Central Africa. Many places in the world, Muslims are being slaughtered. And the Muslims as a whole, we are humiliated as a nation. We have no more izzah or very little izzah, very little honor that's with us. And the reason for this is a weakness of Iman. Many of our sins, or many sins, this is what has gathered upon us and has led to the weakness. So, Shaykh Abdul says, how do we acquire victory over that apparent enemy? We have to strive against that hidden enemy. That enemy that you don't see. The apparent enemy you see, they slaughter the Muslims openly. On social media you see videos upon videos upon videos, how the Muslims are being slaughtered and humiliated. It's an apparent enemy. But the hidden enemy that you don't see, is nafsul نفس su بسوء shaytan it's that nafs that is inclined towards haram and evil and your shaitan, of course Shaitan is obviously inna shaytana lakum aduun mubeen quran says shaitan is for you a clear enemy that's his whole goal is to break you down break your iman down and so forth so whomsoever um, does not gain victory over that inner enemy will not gain victory over the open and apparent enemy this is the sunnah of allah how did 313 men on the Battle of Badr or in the Battle of Badr overcome a 1,000 men? The iman was at its peak. That's why the people of Uhud, the same. Their iman was extremely strong. And they were the best of the best. خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ as the Quran says the best ummah which was sent to mankind. So Ibn Al-Qaim He speaks about an ayah where Allah Azza wa Jal says, سُبُلَنَا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Right at the end of Surah ankabut in Ayah 69, Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِيْنَا Those who strive, they do jihad, for our sake. We will indeed guide them to our path. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ And Allah is with the so Ibn Qayyim says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He connected two things in this ayah. He connected hidayah, that He will guide you to, this, to, to our path, to, with, with jihad. He connected hidayah, guidance, with jihad. So He says that the most perfect of people in terms of hidayah are the ones who are best in jihad. The most perfect of people who complete of people in terms of the hidayah of guidance are those who are the strongest when it comes to jihad. And then he says that Allah has made jihad, jihadun nafs, jihad ul hawa, jihad ul-shaytan, wa jihad ul dunya. He mentions four types of jihad. He mentions four types of jihad. Jihad of your nafs. Your nafs inclines towards things. Different people have different desires. Their nafs is is, is tested in different ways. So firstly, jihad of the nafs he speaks about. That you need to strive against that nafs which is inclined towards some type of haram. Or it may be used to certain type of... it's accustomed to certain haram that you grew up with. That you've always been engaged in. Once you learn it's haram and so forth. You now need to strive against that nafs and overcome that nafs to give up the haram. He speaks about jihadul hawa, which is the desire that you have. It's, it could be a, a lustful desire, it could be any type of desire. You need to strive against your desires. Wa jihadu shaitan. That you fight against the shaitan. Shaitan is, as we said, he's a clear enemy. Every moment, every opportunity, he's there to mislead you. Wa jihadul dunya. Jihad of the dunya, the dunya is, It is. it has its adornments and it's a test, it has its pleasures and it has its test and trials and it comes with. So he says, whomsoever does jihad of these four things, for the sake of Allah, Allah subhanahu Wa ta'ala will guide him to the path of his rida which leads to his jannah. If you can do this type of jihad, you overcome these, these four distractions, jihad of your nafs, jihad of your desires, jihad of shaitan and jihad of the dunya, for the sake of Allah, Allah will guide you to the right path which leads to his pleasure and leads to Jannah. But whosoever leaves off jihad, what, what does he lose? He loses that which is connected to jihad which is guidance. He loses guidance. So this is the importance of how do we attain the help of Allah. The help of Allah comes to those who earn the help of Allah. And that comes with jihad for the sake of Allah. And once we attain that jihad, this is when we, ach- we achieve the greater jihad. And this is, as we said, this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works. And this is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At the end of the chapter, the Sheikh ends off and he says, let's ask yusliha ahwal muslimin That we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-Karim to rectify the affairs of the Muslims and to strengthen them over the evil of the enemies and to protect the Muslims amnan wa imanihim to give them security and safety and also to protect their iman so this is a dua that we should all make in the khutbah every Friday you hear the, the khatib he says Allah, the first dua he says usually is Allahumma al Islam wal muslimin wa'adhilla shirka wal mushrikeen and so forth, this is the first dua that we hear which is important Oh Allah grant that izzah, that honor and strength to the Muslims and humiliate the mushrikeen and destroy your enemies and so forth, this is the dua that we make on a Friday it's the dua for the, the ummah but that izzah, that help, it comes when we earn that help it comes when we sacrifice our sin and so forth And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Are there any questions on this masala, On the issue of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name, Al-Aziz and uh, uh, Al-Nasir and Al-Ghalib. Any questions on this? Tayyib, we move on to the next two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is Al-Aziz and Al-Jabbar. Al-Aziz and Al-Jabbar. Al-Aziz is translated as the exalted in might. Al-Aziz is the exalted in might. And Al-Jabbar is the compeller. Al-Jabbar is the compeller. These two names you'll find in those ayat at the end of Surah Al-Hashr where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about his names. Where Allah says, Allah subhanahu al azizul jabbar about his Jabbar those two names are mentioned after each other in that ayah. And this is the only place where Allah's name Al-Jabbar is mentioned. The only place where Allah's name Al-Jabbar is mentioned is in at the end of Surah Al-Hashr. As to the name Al-Aziz, in many ayat, al Azizul Hakim, and so forth, right? Many ayat, the Sheikh says approximately 100 places in the Quran, you find the name Al-Aziz. What does Al-Aziz mean? We translated it as the exalted in might. The Shaykh says, Al-Aziz ay Aladi Lahu Jamiu Maani L Izza. That to him belongs every meaning of izza. Every meaning of honor. This is Al-Aziz. It's important to always look at the root letters. In Arabic, Aziz comes from iz. Izza to him belongs every meaning of izzah every type of honor every type of izzah this is who al aziz is and the sheikh basically summarizes it into three types three types of izzah al aziz has three types of of izzah. the first izza is izzatul quwwah the honor of strength and power this is what belongs to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone complete and perfect might and power it belongs to him alone. Inna Allah al Allah says indeed He is al the sustainer or the provider. the owner of power, the owner of might and power. al is Allah's name, which means the most strong. al is the most strong. This is the first type of izza that the Sheikh mentions, the Izza of strength and power. Secondly, he mentions izzatul imtina, which basically means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like he is Al-Ghani, free from need and self-sufficient that the slaves, they could never benefit him nor harm him. No matter what they, what they do of harm, it will never reach him such that it will harm him. Nor can they ever benefit him. No matter what good they do, it does not benefit or, or increase that which is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah is too aziz for this. He's too exalted that your good increases his izzah. Or your bad decreases his izzah. His izzatul imtina' it cannot affect him. He is too honorable for, for us to affect him in any possible way. Right? He's the one who gives, he's the one who withholds. And so forth. This is the second type of izzah that the Shaykh mentions. As Allah SWT says, That unto him belongs the best and the highest of example in the heavens and the earth, and he is Al Aziz Al Hakim. He is Al Aziz Al Hakim, exalted in might and the most wise. The third type of izzah is Izzatul Qahr wal Ghalaba li Meaning, Allah has the izzah where everything is subdued unto him. Everything is subdued and he subjugates everything. So in front of him, he overcomes everything basically. Nothing can overcome him as we spoke about his name, al-Ghalib. This is a similar meaning. No person can make a movement except by the will of Allah. Because we are subdued, we are we are incapable without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing can change. <gun> Illa <einem>? well, bihawlihi wa kuwatihi wa idnihi. Masha Allahukana wa ma lam yasha lam yakun. Whatever Allah wants to happen will happen. Whatever he doesn't want to happen, will not happen. This is part of his izah. This is part of Allah's honor and His might. ولا ولا there is no hawl. What does hawl mean? There is no hawl means there is no change. Nothing can change. No condition, no circumstance will change. وَلَا There is no power except with Allah. Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. So this is the third type of izzah that the shaykh mentions. As Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, اللَّهُمَّ مَالِكَ Say الْمُلْكَ oh مَنْ the King of all kingdoms مالك الملك mulk You give kingdom and dominion to whomsoever you want And you remove it away from whomsoever you want وتُعِزُّ مَنْ You give honor Whomsoever you please, Zillumant Asha, and you humiliate whomsoever you please. Khair in your hand is all good. kulli shayin Indeed, you are able or completely competent over every single thing. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the third type of his izza. Everything is in his hand. Without him nothing can happen. Not a breath that you can take, not a not a winking of your eye, except by his will. This is part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's izza. And he gives that izza to whomsoever he wants. And he removes it away, he takes it away from whomsoever he wants. So he said, Izza is of three types. al Aziz, three aspects of his izah. His honor. Firstly, his power and his strength. Think of any honorable thing, any honorable person. It's a person who has might and strength and power and this belongs ultimately to Allah, in the perfect sense. Secondly, He is perfect, he's free from need, doesn't rely on anything, nothing can harm him or affect him, nothing can benefit him in, in, in fact, because he's too great for that, he has too much izzah for that, he has too much honor, he has too much greatness, he's too, he's too exalted for anything to possibly reach him. This is part of Allah's izzah. And thirdly, because he's so exalted, everything is subdued and subjugated unto him he's in control of every single thing nothing happens except by his will whatever he wants to happen will happen whatever he doesn't want to happen will not happen this is part of allah's this is who al-aziz is this is who al-aziz is what is the effect of 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 our iman what benefit do we get from this name Knowing Allah is Aziz, these are what we said Aziz means these three things. How does it benefit you as a as a believer? Somebody who now believes in Allah as Al Aziz. What benefit does it bring? Strength. strength. Meaning what? What type of strength? Iman. Okay, strengthen your iman. That that's we one aspect. Okay, it strengthens your belief. Knowing who Allah ta'ala is in his power, and his essence and so forth, what else? What else does it bring to the believer who knows this is Al-Aziz? He will know his place. Know his place. Meaning what? It brings about humility. It brings about Al-Khudu'ah. It brings about humility. And it, you belittle yourself basically. Where the slave, he realizes his place. He realizes... His worth, he realises his status, his true status. That in fact, I have nothing to offer. I have no power, I have no might. I am nothing without Allah There is not a single thing I can benefit people with except by the will of Allah. There is nothing that I have to offer except by the will and the mercy and the pleasure of Allah Taala. So I rea- we realise our status. We realise what we actually have. It brings about humility, it brings about humbleness within the slaves and that the slave turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone knowing everything is in his hands, nothing happens except by his will knowing he's in control of every single thing, knowing he has power over every single thing nothing affects him, nothing harms him, nothing weakens him What do we turn to? We turn to Al-Aziz, Ya Allah you are Al-Aziz Grant us assistance, help us and nasir grant us protection. You think, for example, this virus, can it affect us? It cannot affect us except by will, your will. Ya Allah, you are Aziz, you protect us. Because this virus doesn't affect him, nor does it affect those who he grants safety to. So we turn to him alone. And this is how the names, they instill Tawheed within us. This is what we say every week, the names, they teach as Tawheedullah that Allah is the only one deserved of your dua and your worship. Because he's Al-Aziz, it makes no sense to turn to anything else, knowing this is how great Allah Azza wa Jal is. It makes absolutely no sense to turn to a created being which has no Izzah. Nor can it give you Izzah, nor can it remove your Izzah, nor can it harm you or benefit you where Allah Az- Ala Aziz is there waiting for you to, to, to call unto Him. This is what the names of Allah teaches us. And that is why Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, wa ma qadri. When He spoke about the mushrikeen, He said, there are those who don't know Allah. They don't know the value and the virtue and the status of Allah. That is why they ended up in shirk. And that's why the ulama they say, any person who worships other than Allah, he has evil thoughts of Allah. No. Meaning he doesn't understand Allah. He doesn't know Allah. If he knew Allah, he would worship Allah alone. Because he doesn't know Allah by his names and attributes, he is worshiped other than Allah. And this is the power of Allah Allah's names and attributes, Jalla جل Also, when we seek Izzah, who do we seek Izzah from? When you're seeking any type of status, any type of honor, a Muslim is honored, your greatest honor is your Iman. And a Muslim is not somebody who seeks honor with people. So what do we do? Man kana yuridul izzah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says whomsoever desires izza, honor jami'a then all and every type of izzah belongs to Allah. Every honor, all types of honor, it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Surah Fatir, verse number 10. You are seeking Izzah, seek it with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are looking for any honor, any status, do that which is in the path of Allah. And you will receive Izzah. What was the hadith we spoke about last week? Whosoever seeks the pleasure of Allah through the displeasure of the people, Allah will suffice him over the people. And whosoever seeks the pleasure of the people in the displeasure of Allah, with the wrath of Allah, Allah will leave him to the people. Meaning, you will be humiliated. The people will do with you what they want. You will be humiliated. But you do that for the sake of Allah, Allah will grant you Izzah, such that you don't need the people. This is what this ayah is telling us. Whosoever is looking for Izzah, you should know all izza is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah said in Surah Al-Munafiqun, verse number 8, Walillahil Izza tu, wali rasulihi, walil mukmineen. That to Allah belongs izzah and also to the messengers and also to the believers. Allah has given them izza. Allah has given them izzah. Because of the obedience. Because of the iman. Allah has given them izza. But like we spoke about with the previous name, when our sins increase and our iman becomes weak we start to lose that Izzah. We start to become humiliated once again. The same, like we spoke about with the name Al-Ghalib and Al-Nasir, the same system. Izzah is with Allah. When you strive when you love to please Allah, you will see Izzah in your life. And when you become disobedient, you will see that Izzah is removed because it's in the hand of Allah, ultimately, Wallahul Musta'an. The Sheikh then says, that third aspect of Izzah which we mentioned, which is, al qahar which is that Allah Azza wa Jal He is predominant over everything, and everything is subdued unto Him. This is also the meaning of the name Al-Jabbar. This is what the name Al-Jabbar means when we said the compeller. He compels everything. Everything is compelled by him. Right? Nothing happens except what he allows to happen. And so forth. So this is what the name Al-Jabbar means. That third aspect of of Izzah that we spoke about, this is also the meaning of al-Jabbar. A side note here, does this mean that we have no free will? That we are all majboor, we are all compelled. So whatever good you do is because Allah forced you to do it, whatever evil you did is also because you were under the compulsion of Allah. Is this what it means? Allah is the Compeller. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also gave us choice. He also gave us a, a type of free will, where you can decide to do what you want to do. right? You can choose to do good or you can choose to do bad. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said, And say that, الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ The truth is from your Lord. The truth is from your Lord. فَمَنْ شَاءَ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرُ Whomsoever wants, let him believe. And whomsoever wants, let him disbelieve. Allah has made it clear in this ayah that if you want to believe, believe. And if you don't want to believe, then don't believe. It's a choice that's been given to you. When you see guidance, you would make the decision to follow the guidance. And when you see misguidance, you make the decision to follow the mis... not to follow or to follow. We have a choice. Ultimately, yes, everything happens by the Qadr of Allah, the decision of Allah. But Allah has given us a type of free will, where we can decide and we can choose to do things um, for ourselves. At the end of this chapter, the Sheikh mentions that Al-Jabbar also has three different meanings. If we look at the, the Ayat and Ahadith, we find that Jabbar, the first meaning is, we, we say Allah is the Compeller. He is predominant, and so forth. The second type of meaning that we find in the Sharia of Al-Jabbar refers to Allah's special mercy and kindness. Al-Jabbar is the one, Yajbur. See the root letters here, Jim, Ba, Ra, Jabr, right? Yajbur, Jabbar, the root letters are there, Jim, Ba, Ra. Yajburul He is the one who fixes that which is broken. He mends that which is broken. He is the one who remedies the situation. This is Al-Jabbar as well. This comes from his mercy. His Ra'fa. We spoke about Ra'fa last week. That special mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That special kindness. With the name. Which name comes from Ra'fa? Huh? Nope. Which name comes from the word Ra'fa? Ar-ra'uf. Ar-ra'uf comes from the word Ra'fah, the kind one or the most kind, right? And where's this had, where, where do we mention this as a dhikr? Rasulullah SAW mentioned this dhikr, j- this wajibur. Where do you mention this? these words, ujburni? In your salah, sala, between the two sajdas between the two that the person used to say, Allahumma ghefirli warhamni wajburni, wajburni. These are the same, this, this is this is your calling upon Al-Jabbar. Wajburni, Allahumma ghefirli, Allah forgive me, warhamni have mercy upon me, wajburni. Remedy my situation, rectify my affairs, improve my situation. This is also part of Al-Jabbar. The one who remedies the situation, he means that it's the situation. الَّذِي يَجْبُرُ الْكَسِيرُ As the ulama have explained, meaning the one who fixes that which is broken. A person who is broken, for whatever reason, you turn to Allah Al-Jabbar to to remedy your situation, to mend your situation and so forth. And the third meaning of Al-Jabbar is Al-Ali, which refers to Allah's Highness. Another meaning of Al-Jabbar refers to Allah's Highness over everything, that He is above every single thing, in every way. Um, another dua from the Sunnah that mentions uh, this name or an attribute of this name. The attribute of the name Al-Jabbar is Al-Jabarut. Al-Jabarut. So where do we mention this one? I mean, I'm sure I mentioned it in this class before. The, the dhikr which mentions Al-Jabarut. Uh, when do we say it? Is that Jabarut Kibriya, yes? Again, it's a dhikr of the sujood and the ruku', also the salah. So in the ruku' and sujood, Rasulullah s.a.w. used to say, Subhana Subhanadil Jabaruti wal Malakuti wal Kibriya wal Azamah. Subhana, Perfection belongs to Zil Jabarut, the owner of Jabarut, the owner of that power Wal Malakut and of Kingdom Wal Kibriya and of grandeur Wal and strength or power or might Right, we spoke about this when we spoke about the names Al Kabir and Al Avim. Those two names we mentioned together Al Kabir the Grand and Al-Azim, The Greatest, or The Great One. The attributes to those names are Al-Azim, Al-Azamah, Al-Kabir, Al-Kibriya. In those, when we spoke about those two names, we mentioned this, this dhikr. That the Prophet used to say in the Salah, Subhana Dil-Jabaruti, Wal-Malakuti, wal Kibriya Wal-Azamah, right? Mentioning those attributes of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, praising Him in the Ruku' and, um, in the sujood. So jabarut, this power of compel of compulsion, to be the compeller over everything, belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. It's an attribute of Allah that belongs to Him, that He's deserved of. So anybody who seeks this, any creation or insan that seeks this type of jabarut of people, he becomes what we call a tyrant and many places in the Qur'an you'll find the word jabbar does not refer to Allah if you check the context it refers to tyrants and now Allah (coughs) Subh'anaHu Wa Taala promises them an evil ending like Allah says jabbar is mentioned but in this context it refers to the one who's mutakabbir arrogant and a tyrant allah says that he covers their hearts he puts a stamp on their heart and these people are doomed because of their arrogance because of their tyranny over people allah speaks about the anbiya and the messengers when they sought the help of allah and the victory of allah every evil and arrogant tyrant was destroyed Every evil tyrant was destroyed. So this is another name that brings about humility. It instills humbleness within us that we do not strive to be of the arrogant and the haughty, and those who are uh, who, who are tyrants towards others. In fact, the hadith says in a tirmidhi that on the day of Qiyamah, something in the, in the shape of a long neck like a snake will come out. It has lahu aynan, it has two eyes with which it sees. Wa udhunan yasma'u bihima, and two ears by which it hears. Wa lisan and it has a tongue with which it speaks. So something will come out on this day which is in the shape of a snake with a long neck. It has two eyes and two ears and a tongue. And that thing will say on the day of Qiyamah, Inni wukil tu bi thalatha. I have been placed in charge of three people, or three types of people. The first one is Bikulli Anid. I am in place of, I am put there to, in charge of every uh, arrogant and evil tyrant. Every stubborn, evil, arrogant tyrant will be placed under the care of what? Of this evil looking snake type of thing. And secondly, kulli ma'allahi ilahan akhar. Whomsoever claims that there is another ilah along with Allah. Umse ever claims that there is another deity worthy of worship alongside Allah. Anybody who makes such a claim, a mushrik, he will be left in charge under the care of this snake-like thing. Wal Musawireen and the picture makers, the image makers. These are the three categories of people that will be left under the care of this snake-like creature which will be looking this is a obviously a threat this hadith is a warning and a threat against these three things the, the tyrant the mushrik who claims there is a ilah along with allah and thirdly the musawwereen the picture makers So these things are obviously not minor things these are major issues and they will be left allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not be their wakil he will not take care of them come qiyama he will leave them to this snake like Creature, wallah al So these two names again they instill humility, and we see the greatness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala through these two names. Um, we'll take two more names and we'll wrap up. Inshallah, the next two names that Sheikh Abdul Razak mentions is Al qarib and Al Mujib. Al qareeb and Al Mujib. Al qarib is the near, the one who is near, and Al Mujib is the responsive the responsive. These two names are also mentioned together in the Quran Surah Hud wa Allah says wa and to the Thamud we sent their brother Salih. The end of the ayah basically he said to them "Inna Rabbi Mujib. Indeed my Lord is near and responsive. He is near and responsive. The name Mujib is only found in that ayah. Surah Hud verse 61 is where you find the name Al-Mujib only. As for Al-Qarib, three places in the Quran, they Surah Hud, and which is the famous ayah with the name Qarib is mentioned? Huh? No? Say again? I'm looking for ayah of the Quran. The ayah where he speaks it's about the jugular vines is aqrabu ilai." I'm, I'm closer to you, but the name Qareeb is not mentioned Yes, they, that's the one surah Baqarah hmm. That's the second place When my slaves ask of you about me, concerning me, inform them that I am close, I'm near, Qareeb الدَّاعِ دَعَالِ I'm the one who answers the call of the caller when he asks, when he supplicates. And thirdly in Surah Sabah, Surah Sabah, verse 50, Allah says, Say, if I go astray, so the Prophet should say, if I go astray, I only go astray due to myself, for myself. وَإِنْ اهتديت, And if I'm guided, فبما يوحى إلي ربي And it's because of what my Lord inspired me with إنه سميع قريب indeed he is all hearing and he is near he is close by so these are two beautiful names of Allah سبحانه ta'ala, al qarib and al-mujib and when we speak about Allah's قرب Allah's closeness as you mentioned the ayah Firstly, أقرب من حبل Allah says, I'm closer to you than your jugular vein That's one type of closeness That we could say is in a general sense In a general sense meaning Allah is close to, He's closer to everything than their jugular vein Meaning, in terms of his knowledge In terms of his sight In terms of his hearing He's closer, He knows more than what you know about yourself He's closer to you in that way. And this applies to all of creation. But in a specific sense, we speak about Allah's qurb, Allah's closeness, His nearness, and this applies to whom? This applies to Allah's muhibbin, those who are beloved to Him, and those who call unto Him, and those who, who He responds to. He answers their calls. This is qurb. That this is the qurb that we seek. The qurb of Allah being near you in terms of his knowledge, that's a given. But the special type of closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what you should desire and what you should, what you should, what you should, what you should seek. You should be looking for and striving to earn this qurbah or this qurb of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And where do we see this qurb? You see it in Allah's favors upon you. You see it in how he takes care of your needs takes care of you in this dunya, how he provides for you and so forth. How he gives you success and guidance. This is where you see the true qurb of Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is near and close by. And when he answers your duas, and there's many times that, Alhamdulillah we can see we made dua for something, the next thing you know you achieve that thing. Well not long after you strive a little bit and before you know it, you realize this is what I was making dua for, this is what I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, it has come. اُدْعُونِي لَكُمْ As Allah says, My Lord, say to them, or oh, He said that your Lord, your Lord has said, اُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِيبْ Call unto me and I will respond to you. I will respond to you. And so we find many ahadith that mentions this nearness of Allah Azza to His slaves and to the believing slaves. How He hears their du'as and answers their calls. And he gives them whatever they are seeking. A hadith from narrated by Abu Musa al-Ash'ari anhu, he says that I was with the Prophet on a travel, on a journey. And there were people who were raising their voice in takbir. And so the Prophet said to them, ala O people, take it easy. Take it easy upon yourselves. Because you are not calling upon one who is deaf, no one who is absent. Innakum tadu'una sami'an qariban. Wahu wa'akum. You are only calling upon one who is all hearing and he is close by. Wahu waakum and he's with you. That's one of the evidences that ulama used that dhikr should be done softly. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do not you need there's no need for a jawab where you raise your voice or scream. Because Allah is not deaf. No is he absent that you need to shout at him and call him. The hadith says Same an He he's all hearing and he's close by. And he's with you. And this is why some ulama say that the dhikr should be done softly. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears it and he's with you. And this is also closer to khushu'ah. It's also closer to humility. Another hadith, uh, well, there are many hadith, So I'm going to skip some of them due to time. One hadith also in Bukhari and Muslim, Abu Huraira anh, narrates from the Prophet. إِذَا a If one of you makes dua, you should not say, oh Allah, forgive me, if you wish. If you, if you wish or if you want. This is not how you make The Rasulullah says, do not say this. But rather, be firm in your questioning. Be resolute when you ask. What does this mean? When you say, oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah, don't say, oh Allah, forgive me if you please, if you want, if you desire. And this is common mistake people make. When Allah guides us, we say, Inshallah. This is an error according to this hadith. You say, oh Allah, guide us, ameen. Be firm in your your questioning. To say, oh Allah, guide us, inshaAllah, you are saying, oh Allah, guide us if you please. The Prophet said, don't say this. Do not not make dua like this. Mas'ala, be firm when you ask oh Allah guide us and we say amin, which means oh Allah accept this dua You understand? So when you make dua be firm in your questioning in your masala, in whatever you are uh, asking for Also the hadith Inna Allah hayyun karimun yastahi min abdi ilahi an That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shy and he is generous and he becomes shy towards his slave when he raises his hand to him. Allah is too shy that he drops his hand empty. Meaning, if you raise your hands, Allah says, he, the hadith says, Allah is too shy that he allows you to drop your hands empty. Meaning, that he has not answered your dua yet. So, this is why the scholars say to raise your hands is one of the means of having your dua's being accepted. Because of this hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where the Prophet mentioned this about Allah. Also the du'a of Allah's nuzul, يَنزِلُ رَبُّنَا تَبَارَكَ وتعالى كُلَّ ليلة إِلَى سماء الدُّنْيَا حِينَ يَبْقَى ثُلُثُ الليل الْأَخِرِ That your Lord, our Lord descends to the last heaven every night, to the heaven of this dunya, when the last third of the night remains. When the last third of the night remains. فَيَقُولْ مَنْ يَدْعُونِي فَأَسْتَجِيبَ له. And Allah calls out and He says, Who is making du'a to me so that I can respond to His du'a? And who is asking of me so that I can give him? And who is uh, who is asking my forgiveness so that I can forgive him? This hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. This happens every night. Not only Ladatul Qadr. Not only the fifteenth of Sha'ban. It happens every single night during the last third. And that's why it's the best time for worship and the best time for du'a. Because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is inviting you to ask Him. He's basically calling out and saying, "Who is this that I can give?" Who's asking so I can provide and who's asking for forgiveness so that I can forgive. These are the virtues of dua. These are of the many, many virtues of, of dua which proves that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is qareeb and is qareeb to those believing slaves of his. The last dua that we mention, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi said, "Mam min muslimin? بدعوة ليس فيها إثم ولا قطيعة رحم إلا أعطاه الله بها إحدى ثلاث. he says there's no Muslim who makes dua wherein there's no sin. nor is he a person who has severed ties of kinship? he's not someone who has broken up his family or cut off family members. except that Allah will give him one of three things. Either Allah will hastily respond to his dua. So he's not a sinner. He's not a major sinner. There's no sin in that scenario in case where he's in. Nor is he someone who has cut off his family members. The first thing, the first possibility that Allah will do is, either he will immediately answer your dua. Or he will store your reward away for you, for the akhirah. Or he will take some evil that would have reached you away from you. He will divert it away from you. And then they said, the Sahaba said, What if we increase? So what if we make more and more and more du'as? Does the same thing apply? The Prophet said, Allahu Akbar. That the more you do, Allah is greater than that. Allah is more than that. Allah is so much more in store than that. So the more you do, this still applies. The rule still applies. One of three things will happen when you make dua. Either you get what you are asking for, or even better than that. What's better than that? Allah has kept the reward for the Akhirah. And this is the main reason why you should never become hasty. And say, I made dua but I, don't see a du- I made dua, but there's no response. And I asked Allah but I don't see a response. And this is the hasty person. Because perhaps Allah has stored it in the for you in the Akhirah. This is where yaqeen and belief comes in. I asked Allah and I put my trust in Him, I leave my affairs to Him, Allah knows best. Whatever comes, Alhamdulillah. Whatever does not come, Alhamdulillah. That's true tawakkul. Tawakkul is when you are pleased with whatever Allah has decreed. And you understand this is the system of Allah Taala. If there's a delay, it's probably best for me. And if it doesn't come, it's probably best for me. I will see it in the Akhirah, which is better than this dunya. It's better than what you will get in this dunya. Or, perhaps your du'a was accepted by Allah keeping some harm away from you. That would have happened to you, a sickness, an accident, anything. It would have happened, it was destined to happen to you, but your du'a can change destiny. It can change decree in terms of this dunya. We decrees, a yani minor decree. And that was your du'a being accepted. So it's about belief, at the end of the day we made the du'a, but the rest we leave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Whatever comes, we should be pleased with that, because we know who Allah Azza wa Jal is We know who Allah Azza wa Jal is To end off, the great effect that these names have on our iman is Al-Mujib What, what effect does this have on your iman? Al-Qarib Allah is the one that's near and is the responsive one. How does this change a believer? Now that we know who Allah is, Al Karim and Al Mujib, what effect do does it bring about? Al would mean you too fearful to transgress. Okay, but remember, I said there's two types of kurb, right? That is correct. I said there's one type of kurb where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is closest to everyone Muslim non-Muslim but the special type of qurb that we are seeking that he is close to his certain slaves those whom who who he those whom are close to him in terms of their worship and so forth that is the special type of qurb that we are speaking about so how does this affect the believer right it brings about a yearning and a longing to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to increase in worship, to increase in obedience towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these type of names, al Mujib, Al-Qareeb, what does it bring about? It strengthens our yaqeen in Allah. It strengthens our belief and our certainty. And as we seek Allah's hope, that we have, we, our hope in, in Him increases because we know is Qareeb. We know He's responsive. He will answer our du'as. And we will increase in our efforts to get closer to Allah. Because we know we can achieve that qurb. We can get closer and closer. And, and the closer you come to him, the more he becomes, you become beloved to him. And one hadith we didn't mention, maybe I should have mentioned it. But when you become beloved to him, what does Allah say? I become the hearing by which he hears. And I become the sight by which he sees. And the hand by which he strikes. And the feet by which he walks. And when he asks of me, I will give him. The moment he says, Ya Rabb, Allah answers him And the moment he seeks protection, Allah protects him This is the athar that we are looking for That we know this is Allah, this is what we are looking for To get to that level To get to that station where we say, Ya Allah, and Allah opens up We say, Allah protect me, and Allah protects you You understand? So this is uh, the main effect of these names it, it, it brings about closeness to Allah That we strive to get closer to Him and that we never ever lose hope in his mercy. Because we understand his great mercy, and we understand he's uh, responsive to our du'a's, he does not neglect our du'a's, and so forth. Wallahu <laughs> a'lam <laughs> um, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alhi wa sahbihi ajma'in, subhanakallahu allahu bihamdik. Ashadu ala ilahe illa at astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaytu. Two So, the, 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 about du'a, and raise your hands, that's obviously, that you normally make, you know, not like, times okay, so on the raising of the hands issue, there's general dua, right? When you make dua and you raise your hands. Like let's say between the adhan and iqama, for example, you sit, you can make dua and you raise your hands. Recommended. The last of the night you can sit, raise. Anytime, in fact, you make dua, a general dua, you raise your hands. But then there are specific times where the Prophet made dua Mm -hmm. and he never raised his hands. Like the khutbah. When the Prophet gave a khutbah, he never raised his hands on the mimbar, except when he made dua for rain. Right? So usually the khatib should not stand like this and say, Allah Maizal Islam al-Muslim, In fact, what happened was is after the death of the Prophet Muslim, one of the ministers, was a minister, he made he gave the khutbah. And in the khutbah, he raised his hands. And at the end of the khutbah, the Sahaba who were alive went to him and said to him, how evil are these hands? The Sahaba said to him, how evil are these hands? Because the Prophet never raised his hands like this, he used to point with his finger. Mm-hmm. That had this in Muslim, which proves in the khutbah, he never raised his hands. And they believed you shouldn't raise the hands because he never raised his hands. Another example would be, adhan after, uh, the dua after the adhan, the person never raised the hands, so we say it's not a sunnah to raise the hands. The same with there are endless examples. You enter the toilet, you make a du'a. You say do you enter your no, we don't. You eat, do you raise the hands? No. After you eat, and we raise the hands. No, it's not a sunnah. If someone decides now, it's not, we say that that can become a bid'ah. It Can become a bid'ah because he's now purposefully adding something specific to the deed. Right, but any other general du'as that you make, it's not connected to any time or place. When the Prophet never raised his hands, we say you should not raise the hands. So, like you enter the masjid, you make a dua. You leave the masjid, you enter the toilet to make a dua. After the other, specific, you know things that are connected to certain ibadat or certain times or places. When the Prophet never made raise his hands, we say you don't raise the hands. You understand? before you make a fardh salah, meaning? After you make a After the fardh salam. Allah ma'al salam wa salam. Before talking about before the fardh salah. Before the fardh salah. Yeah, no, then you raise the hands. Because it's a general dua. It's it's an it's it's open dua. You raise your hands, you ask Allah for whatever you want. You understand? Or you don't raise your hands, it's not a fart. But if you did, it's recommended. Because it's on the sunnahs and etiquettes all of dua in a general sense and the, after the faults proper he never is and resents. then the other question she was about um so for example if you say um you somebody's relative or somebody passed away and you ask may Allah grant you contentment inshallah is, we just said now is that would you rather say i uh, mean or so that technically that's incorrect you shouldn't say Allah grant you contentment inshallah because the hadith says you don't make dua like that. So you say, Allah grant you contentment? Ameen. Ameen. Or even if you don't say Ameen, as just be Ameen. firm in your, in your question and say, well, Allah grant you, etc. Allah grant you offspring, Allah grant you a wife, Allah grant you beneficial knowledge. Whatever it may be, Allah grant the Muslims izzah. You know? We shouldn't say, Inshallah, Ameen. Or, Inshallah. Of you tomorrow. say, Amin. When do we say, Inshallah? When you plan to do something. Do something. So, I'll see you tomorrow, Inshallah. We'll you tomorrow. I'll. Meet you next week. We have your class, inshallah. That's not a dua. That's a statement that we're planning to do something. You understand? Then we say, if Allah wills, right? But it's not a dua. That's the the key difference. Yeah yes making dua. yes Some yes people make dua like this. yeah yeah so different people have like different the sunnah is to cup your hands together like a like a bowl you know you cup your hands together and this is how you make dua so it's not like this or you know people use different methodologies different ways but they, they legislated uh, this is a hadith in abu Dawood. hadith in sunnah abu Dawood. he cupped his hands together like this so this is when you raise your hands this is the method of raising hands Right? And preferably it faces the The Sama' You are in now in the form of a of a beggar You know? You picture a beggar sitting in the street You know? This is what you are to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. Al-Ghalib, Al-Nasir You're sitting and you're begging from Allah You can look to the heavens, it's a good thing You want to look, but don't look in the Salah That's the main thing Out to the Salah, it's a good thing but in the salah, it's haram, the hadith says that you should not raise your 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 head to the heavens in the salah because perhaps Allah will not will not return your, your vision back to you. So it's actually a sin to to in the salah to to raise to just to look up is not permissible. But in general, du'a you allowed to raise you to, to look into the heavens, and say Ya Allah, you know, speaking to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala directly, that that is no problem with that. And some ulama say it's, 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 it's in fact recommended. Some ulama say, like in times of difficulty, you should, it's a type of istighatha, you know, where you seek that assistance and help and, and relief from Allah. That's a good thing. And there's ayat that speak about uh, some of the nations of the past when they raised their, their heads to the, to the, to the sama' and Allah answered their dua. So, based on that, some, some scholars say it's, it's a good etiquette of the dua, but not in the salah. That, that's most important. No other questions? It's just that uh, when you, uh, I mean, it's also etiquette, you can't just criticize people without knowledge. If people are doing things to cause a disturbance, saying this is wrong or this is wrong. You know, let's say that they were like arranging hands and trying to tell a person listen, this is wrong. Is it, isn't it better rather to um, advise a person to come to a class? to? knowledge or code, you can't code hadith and so on, be quiet. <coughs> you don't have to Yes, I agree with that, definitely. Because part of da'wah is knowledge. The first condition of da'wah is that you have knowledge to what you are calling to. Hmm. Um, so I think it depends. It depends on, the, on on what's being discussed and spoken about. And it also depends on your demeanour and the manner that you do it. So let's say you see someone in the masjid like this. The first thing is, we don't go to him and say, not like this. Lately, make his du'a. We're not saying his du'a won't be accepted. Allah can still accept his du'a. That doesn't mean because he's said like this, it won't be accepted. What we are saying is this is the best way to sit. So after he is done, maybe as he's leaving the masjid, you walk with him and you say, you know what, brother? This is what I learned that the sunnah is to make du'a like this. That's just between you and him. You mention to him in a nice way, and you leave. Halas, there's no need for him to feel bad or hurt or. And, you know, Allah accepted du'as, for example, but you just teach him a simple sunnah and khalas, that's it, in a nice way, quietly between the two of you alone, that's what hikmah, nicely, good words, khalas, no no need to, even if you can't quote the hadith, you know, and then you can say, you know what, we learned this in this class, if you want to invite him to a class, you can invite him to a class, but hikmah is important, you don't go to them in the middle of the du'a and say, look here, stop, that's not good, don't make du'a like this, this is how you must make du'a, you know, Afterwards, you take him aside and say, look, this is the, the etiquette of dua, and so forth. Uh, if it's a major issue, then you can get someone else to give the advice if you feel you're not capable, and so forth. That's, I think it depends on the situation. It's not easy to give a, a, a blanket answer and say, this is how it always going to be. Depends on what's being discussed, and so forth. Um, no knows best.